You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. Ahmed Munawar here, and I'm excited to bring you in today's episode my guest, Tom Poland of Leadsology. Tom's got a fantastic story, and he's got a ton of just really fascinating ideas and insights for you today on how to craft and refine a marketing message, a message that cuts through the noise, gets people's attention, and makes them want to talk to you. I cannot underscore how important it is to have a compelling marketing message enough. It's something we talk about on the show quite a bit, as you would have noticed. And there's reason for that, because a weak message, a message that is uninspiring, underwhelming, is not going to get you very far. No amount of exposure or traffic is going to help you if you have a weak marketing message. But if you have a strong, compelling message, one that grabs people by the throat, so to speak, and grabs their attention and makes them interested and curious in what you have to say and how you can help them, then even with a little bit of exposure, a little bit of traffic, a little bit of awareness, your message will go a long way. And Tom really breaks down for us in this interview the mechanics of what that marketing message ought to look like. So tons to learn here from Tom Poland. You're going to have a great time listening to this interview. Before you go, though, want to share with you a resource I've recently created. It's a short video training, about 30 minutes long, that I'm calling Rich Consultant, Poor Consultant. And it'll show you what the top 1% of consultants know about winning clients and winning business that you might not know yet. I've boiled down the difference between the rich consultants and the poor consultants. And rich and poor, I mean, yes, in terms of money and finances, but I also mean in terms of their level of control over their business and the impact they have on their clients and the influence they have in their markets. Rich consultants earn more money. They have more impact, more influence, and more control over their businesses, and poor consultants struggle in all of those areas. And I found there are three things that make the difference between a rich consultant and a poor consultant. If you want to know what those three things are, I've packaged that up for you in a short 30-some-odd-minute training that you can watch at your convenience. Just head over to forecast.fm slash rich. That's forecast.fm slash rich to grab that training right now, but not right now. After this interview, go ahead and sit back and listen to my conversation with Tom Poland. Enjoy. Tom, thanks so much for coming on the show. Ahmed, pleasure to be here. Listen, why don't you get us started by giving us the, the quick Tom Poland introduction? I help independent professionals generate a weekly flow of high quality inbound leads. That's, that's the commercial introduction. Um, the, the, the other part of it is I live in a little place called Castaways Beach on the sand here next to the sea in, uh, on the Sunshine Coast of Queensland, Australia. So it's tomorrow <laughs> where, where I am. <laughs> Wherever you're listening, I, it's, it's tomorrow for Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what, else, what else can I help you with? What else do you need to know? So, so tell me, how did you get into this business that you're running now? What's the backstory here? Well, you, you, you used the word uh, before, you know, about evolution. Um, so, the, so the backstory is that in 
1994, I was, uh, I'd had my own businesses previously and I'd got seduced into a corporate job, which frankly I loved and was tremendous development, professional development. But in 1994, I had five leave applications declined. And I was, you know, I had a young family and I was driving along listening to audio cassette tapes, kind of like eight tracks, you know, those were the days, no MP3s or CDs even. And uh, the speaker quoted Mark Twain. I think it was Mark Twain. It might have been Benjamin Disraeli. But anywho, the quote was, time is the stuff of which life is made. And I literally pulled my car over. I was driving in the country from one office to another, uh, a corporate office to another. And I literally pulled my car over. And I thought, I don't have control over my life. And I made the decision then to explore jumping out of the, the corporate the gilded corporate cage, so to speak. And, and I launched a program called the Entrepreneur Success Program. And we launched, I'd launched that in 1995 with much fear and, trepida and trepidation, uh, but, but also with a lot of hope and a lot of dreams. Um, and I have to say it worked pretty well. We had lots of ups and downs, lots of twists and turns, but I franchised that internationally. Um, and then in 2008, I walked away from that because it, 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 it got outmaneuvered in the marketplace by other offerings. I won't go into all the details on that, but suffice to say, I'd gotten to a point where someone had moved the cheese. You know, that great little book that, that you know, who, who moved my cheese? And two little mice go through the maze every day, pick up the cheese, and one day it's not there. And they one of them wants to keep going back to the same spot, and the other says, no, we've got to look for a new, new where, the, where the cheese might have gone to. So it was very much that situation, who moved my cheese. And so I started another business uh, with online coaching, um, uh, to a little bit of international work still flying around the place, but eventually that morphed into the current program. Uh, and um, yeah, it's called Leadsology. So I, I niched down, I, interesting thing, you know, I observed that there were certain clients that I was gonna meet with that I was really looking forward to, and others not so much. And the common denominator was, was pretty simple. The ones I liked working with were people who did what I did. They were independent professionals offering service advice for a living. And so I took the step about three years ago to focus just on that market, independent professionals who offer service or advice for a living, and focus only on lead generation. So of all the things that I thought I you know, could, could, could do reasonably well, lead generation was the one that I enjoyed the most because, as you know, it's the most honest one. The leads are there or they're not there. <laughs> uh, there's no fluffing around with brands or you know, team cultures. All of those things were very important. But I liked the accountability and the measurability of have you done a great job or not. It's kind of like the scoreboard in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a sports game. You know you know if you're winning or you're losing. So that's how we got to where we are today. Uh, the internet has provided uh, extraordinary opportunities. I'm you know, fortunate to serve clients in England, Portugal, Madrid, Germany, Canada, USA, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. And I, and I like the cultural diversity of that very much. So I'd love to know, because I know your, your business has been through several iterations over the past 20 some odd years, 23 years, I guess it is, right? Mm. And you've worked with different types of clients. The initial business had a certain target. And now in the last three years, you focus in on service professionals. I'd love to know what, what difference does that make to you in terms of having the right clients in the door that you're working with day after day? Like, what difference does that make in your life? Well, it makes it a lot easier. <laughs> And, and it makes it more fulfilling because I can be more effective. So what I found is, you know, I always, I've, I've always been fascinated with marketing. The idea that you could influence someone's mind to want a thing, um, especially when you're not physically there, uh, that, that, that to me is fascinating. I'm just intrigued in the psychology of that. 
So, so what happens is when I, when I was teaching marketing, I was noticing that in those days, you know, with people in a room, right? You might have a hundred people in a room, 50 people in a room, 20 people in a room, whatever, but you could have a dry cleaner, uh, some sort of retailer or restaurateur, uh, someone selling real estate. Uh, you could have a management consultant, a business, uh, maybe executive trainer or something. And they're all in the same room and you're going, okay, this is how you generate leads. And you know, I know I'm pretty sure I sounded confident that I knew what I was talking about, but there was this little voice at the back of my head that was going, how would that work both for a dry cleaner and a management consultant? You know, you, you can't drill down yeah. because the marketing between a dry cleaner and a management consultant is completely different, completely different marketing. I mean, different price points, different markets, different service offerings. So eventually, um, again, it was a matter of, you know, finding where the cheese had gone to, I suppose, except this time I moved it myself. So it was a little easier to find it, figure out where it was. And, and and saying, well, look, again, if if I if I work with the people that I naturally feel drawn to and that I find it easy to work to and I get excited about working with and that I can actually really deliver value in a in a in a detailed, prescriptive, directive, step one, step two, step three manner, then I can't work with dry cleaners and with management consultants. And I prefer working with the independent professionals. So that's 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 the evolutionary process, and and you know I call it the Tao of marketing, T A O. You know, there's a philosophy and there also a religion called Tao or Taoism, and the Tao of marketing is test and observe. Mm. Yeah. And I think I think good teachers will faithfully replicate what they've learned, but I think great teachers will will share what they've observed. And evolution, in fact, depends on us observing what's working and what's stopped working. Uh, and everything works until it stops working and nothing works until it starts working. So we're in this continual cycle of needing to recognize a thing that stopped working as well as it, as it used to, or looking for opportunities that may not be working quite so well now, but with a few tweaks could be working. I hope that's not too esoteric, but what, what I serve up to my clients is the stuff that it's currently working. That's what I like to think. But I, but I always need to be have one eye on on delivering that, so to speak, and another eye on trying to figure out what's going to stop working and what will start working. Well, I think what I find really fascinating about your story is you've been in the game for twenty three years, and it sounds like you're always kind of, to a certain extent, reinventing and 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 having your finger on the pulse of what's working and what's not working. When it stops working, you seem to have the foresight to to pull back and say, okay, hold on, what's going on here? How do we pivot? How do we tweak? And that's that's easier said than done, isn't it? Well, yeah. No, I, I, to be fair, that wasn't there 23 years ago. It it evolved. You know, it came about because the cheese got moved, as I mentioned, in 2008. Um, and it came about. You know, um, well, actually, no. I'm sorry. It was a 2008. Yeah, you know, it was about 2008. Around about the GFC time, which perfect timing, isn't it? You know, start a new business. <laughs> um, but also, but also because then I, you know, from 2008, I found myself teaching things whereby that worked incredibly well. And then I was observing the results and the results were going down. You t webinars are a classic example. You know, when I first started doing webinars in 2009, we were getting 50% attendance rates. 40% was minimum. Uh, and then over a period of some years, it would drop down to 12.5%. So you have to look at that and say, okay, something's changed here. What's changed? What are we doing wrong? One of the things we were doing wrong is we were telling everyone, hey, there'll be a replay. You know, so we we programmed people to not turn up. 
And virtually no one sits through a one-hour replay, not when they've got emails there and Facebook feeds here and YouTube over there. They'll keep one ear on Tom. And if you said something interesting, you might chew in. So, so things change. Uh, and I have this thing called lead streams. You know, a, leads, a, a webinar could be a lead stream. If you put an audience together with an asset, that equals a lead stream. And if you look at physical streams, they will often change in nature. They, they, sometimes they flood. Sometimes with a lead stream, you get extra, you, know, you get more, more leads than you thought you were going to get. But sometimes they dry up. Uh, sometimes they change direction. Sometimes they go underground. Sometimes some other bastard pollutes them. <laughs> <laughs> and that happens in marketing all the time. You know, on, on Facebook and online funnels have got polluted. Yeah. You know, every, every, every second man and his dog has jumped on that bandwagon and said, look, you can sit on the beach with your laptop for half an hour every day and just I'll show you how to let all the leads flood in. Um, so what was true and what worked well has now become bullshit and doesn't work so well. Mm. So this, this constant changing of the marketing landscape is something that we're all, you know, I think, it, I think it's incumbent on us all to observe it carefully and face reality as it is and not like, like we want it to be. So, 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 so to, to embrace the uncertainty and the unpredictability, which is life, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a good segue into our topic today. We've got more demands on our attention than we've ever had, Tom. You and I both know it. You got Facebook, you got LinkedIn, you got our email inboxes, clients are coming at us. Uh, you know, now our, 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 we're a, a message away from our spouse as well and our kids, right? <laughs> oh, we should be. <laughs> we're inundated with messages. Have uh, a conversation. Don't forget the dog. Don't forget the dog. The dog down here. Don't, some attention. Don't too. give the dog a phone. That'll be dangerous. Uh, how do we stand out is, is the real question. I mean, we're exposed to so many marketing messages and advertising yeah. messages that in many ways, you know, for, for the little guy and, and we're the little guy compared to the behemoths that are, that are sending these messages out at scale. How do we cut through and get our clients, our prospects attention? Look, it's a, it's a terrific question. And I, and I think it's, the answer is, is at, at a strategic level is very, very simple. Um, one is, you got to be authentic, and the second thing is you got to be smart about how you do it. So, so in other words, to, to, when I say smart, I mean I've always said you don't have to be that smart to be successful. You only have to be smart enough to know how dumb you are. Um, and you know, I knew I was pretty dumb when it came to marketing when I wanted to get into it. So I sought the help of people who you know respected mentors. So that so so we got to figure out stuff that works. That's that's the smart side. It's got to be effective. A marketing message, for example, has to get cut through. And it has to motivate people to want to know more. That's, in, in my my world, the job of the marketing message. But it's got to be authentic. And if we feel like we're bending our personality out of shape or we're bending our ethics out of shape or we are not being uh, – it's not taking us in the direction of the vision that we have, uh, if it – you know, frankly, if it just doesn't feel right, don't freaking do it. It doesn't – because it won't work for you. Because there's this – there's this massive thing out there that if I can just find the formula and if it needs be, and I have to bend my, if it's something that I don't, re, you know, something I should do, but don't really want to do, well, I, if it's going to make the money, I just need the money, you know? So the big revelation to me was that any, any marketing method and embedded in that as a message that has us waking up in the morning, feeling like we should do that thing, is something we either don't do or something we do inconsistently. And if we 
So if we, if we wake up, every single day you and I wake up, everyone wakes up, we do what we want to do. And some days we wake up, we do what we should do. So the marketing message has to feel like it fits, like a glove on a hand. It's got to feel like it's an expression of your your desires and your beliefs and, you know, not, not to overstate it, but, but your values, you know, it fits, it just feels right. And also not just, not just feeling right. It actually makes sense. And again, so that's that combination between the authenticity and, and the, and the smart. So, so let me ask you this, and I think I know your answer. Do you start with the message or start with the value proposition? And what I mean by that is, do you craft a message that you think is going to resonate in the marketplace and then design an experience to deliver on that message, on that promise? Or do you start with where you think your value proposition lies and craft a message that articulates that well? Yes. <laughs> you can do either. You, you, can run it, you, can, you can run it both ways. <clears throat> I, I mean, the place we, that I start with my clients is where is there a specific unmet need or the sun? Find the sun. Where is there a specific unmet need? Because it, you know that that that's a traditional place to start. Um, so I'll, I'll stop being such a smart ass uh, and answer it more directly. <laughs> but that's where I start. Is is I look at okay, you know whatever it is, whatever service it is you think that that you want to offer, whatever your background is, whatever you think your capabilities are, whatever you can do, pop that on the shelf for a moment. Mm. Now have a look at the marketplace. Where is there a specific unmet need? And, you know, lead gen, getting a flow of leads every week is, is, a, is a widespread specific unmet need. It's not to say you'll be the only person servicing that need, but, but, but it needs to exist. And people need to feel that, that that need is something that they're conscious and aware of. Um, and then if you go from there, and this is, this is the traditional way we do it, specific unmet need, and then you go from there and you say, okay, how am I going to meet that need in such a way that's so differentiated? And I call this the black jelly bean that people who like it love it and people who don't like it hate it. So I want I want how we're going to meet that need to be be the black jelly bean. If there's a bowl of jelly beans on a counter, I'll be the guy standing there picking out the black ones because I love them. And I've done I've done the show of hands in the room so many times, you know, who 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 likes black jelly beans? Half the room goes up. Who doesn't like it? Half the room goes up. So it's it's a divisive thing and that's what I that's what I encourage my clients to develop is the manner of meeting the need which is highly differentiated, often to the point where the people who like it will love it and the people who don't like it will have no interest in it whatsoever. Um, then we go to the message. We say, okay, given that's the specific I need, we therefore have an idea of who our ideal client is going to be. And I, I'm not a big fan of spending a day in an avatar workshop figuring out what sort of coffee they order at Starbucks. Who like, cares, you know? Um, and, and so if that's the specific I need, and that's the way we're going to meet it, and we're going to manage it's highly differentiated. Then, what does that person need to hear or see in order to want to know more? So, the, the implication in, in that statement is that it will get cut through. Um, so, we, I have a, a specific three-part formula, which which you know puts some 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 flesh on those bones, if you like. But but that's the essential question: is what is that? What does my ideal client need? To, who's got the specific unmet need? What is it they need to see or hear in order to want to know more? Now, once we've we've achieved cut through and we've motivated that ideal client with that specific I need to, to want to know more, and that could be to download the guide because the title of the guide has our marketing message in it. It could be to open the email. Uh, it could be to register for the webinar. 
whatever happened, whatever that, because that marketing message has to be used somewhere in our marketing, right? That's the whole point of the marketing message is that we're going to embed that into our marketing, sprinkle it around our digital universe like confetti at a wedding. So, so it's it's got to it's got to achieve those two things. It's got to get cut through, and and I think it's very important in in my world of, in my world of marketing, we're only wanting to we're only wanting the hungry bears, you know, and, and we're only wanting to speak to the people who are aware of their need. We don't want to convince people they have a need. At least I don't. I think it's regarded as is inefficient and it's not very effective. So the hungry bears metaphor is is this: there's there's a forest, there's a hundred sleeping bears in the forest, three of them are, three of them are hungry, but they're all asleep, and we want to get them to eat our honey. And this is metaphorically speaking, the bears are potential clients and the honey is our, our service. So we've got a couple of options. We can go running through the forest with a big, long, sharp pole and we can thrust it into the backsides of a, you know, each bear and wake up the bear and we can wave the honey pot in front of their nose. And if they are one of the three out of the hundred that are fe- currently feeling hungry, then they eat the honey and not us. Um, <laughs> But if they're not, you better run fast, you know. So that's like cold calling. It's like sending out direct ten thousand direct mails. We're just annoying people, you know, stalking people on LinkedIn and so on. Um, so with Leadsology, we just put the honeypot outside the forest because we only want to work with the hungry bears. So the bears that are asleep, the ones that are hungry, will wake up, think they're dreaming of honey. They go, oh, we're not more, oh, but I can smell honey. So they come out of the forest. So that's that's the concept. Is specific unmet need. The ideal client is aware of their need. The timing is perfect, and they have the money. That's what makes an ideal client an ideal client. Uh, and they hear this marketing message, and because their reticular activating system is looking for a solution, it gets cut through, it gets noticed. And and you know if we do it right, as I said, it motivates them to want to know more. So I want to come back to your three-part formula, but a question first about the black jelly bean, because I think that's yeah. that's definitely an area where I think people are going to going to trip up. Is how do you how do you know what to look for in a black jelly bean that I assume mm. it's not always a 50-50 split, but how do you know what that thing is no. that repels the wrong clients and attracts the right ones? Well, ultimately, it's the Dow of marketing, test and observe. But you can get a lot of heads up from, you know, what is it people frequently express, FEFs, frequently express frustrations, and FAQs, frequently asked questions. I mean, they're two big heads up on what people, what are people looking for? You know, if people are asking the same question, you know, do you, do, can you, can, do we work in groups? Do you work one-on-one? Do we do this online? Do we do it offline? What are the frequently asked questions? And what are the frequently expressed frustrations? Um, you know, I've done courses. I mean, I, I have online programs. So some people say, well, I've done programs before and I didn't get the support I needed. Um, you know, some people say, well, I've done programs before and it was drip fed at one module a week over two freaking years, you know, I would get to you. So, so they can, they can be little clues. Um, so, so yeah. Um, but after that, it's, it's a matter of putting it into the water. I think, I think there's, there's always got to be this balance between looking at your own values and saying, this is what's important to me. For me, it's important that I don't travel as much as I used to. You know, I ran over 500 marketing events and hired hotels over 500 times and blah, blah, blah. So I, I quite like, you know, life here on the beach at Little Castaways Beach on the sand. So it's important for me for my lifestyle. Kids have all left home, you know, grandchildren's come occasionally. That's nice. So I don't want to be away a lot. So, so my black jolly bean is that I run an online program. You know, if you want me there in your office, then you're not going to like this. Um, I, I, I love the diversity of working with a group, you know, as I said, I think I said before, you know, clients in, you know, most English speaking countries around the world. Um, and I love that cultural diversity and the diversity of different backgrounds and so on. So 
if you want one-on-one, black jelly bean. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So so I think it's got to start with our own values and what's important to us and what we find rich and rewarding and fulfilling and that we can deliver on, of course, deliver value. Um, and and provided we've got enough of the marketplace, we, do, we don't want all the market. You know, sure. this, the old idea, if we try to be all things to everyone, we'll, we'll, we'll be nothing to no one. Yeah. So, so in your case, it sounds like the black jelly bean is at least in part has to do with the delivery model, right? So this is how I, I deliver value to my clients. Black jelly bean, if you like it, great. If you don't, uh, take a hike, so to speak. Yeah, could it be, could it be other things? Could a black jelly bean be a principle or a perspective or a viewpoint? Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything which is polarizing. You know, Coco Chanel said, in order to be indispensable, one must be different. And as soon as you're different, you polarize people. You, you become a magnet for some people and, you know, the opposite of a magnet, whatever that is, the other end of the magnet, I suppose. You repel other people. Um, and I think I think it's, you know, I, I mean, in my next book, um, I, I express a lot of annoyance, verging on anger, um, directed at some of my contemporaries who, you know, market bullshit. You know, and and I I call them out not by name, but you know if because they're, it's ubiquitous, it's almost universal. It's it almost you know Seth Godin wrote that book, All Marketers Are Liars, and I was I was mildly offended when I saw that title. I thought, oh, Seth, you know I've looked up to you all these years, and now you're calling me a liar. But the more I've been in this business, the more I think he's close to the truth. So you know, part of my black jelly bean is the next book's going to alienate some people. Some people aren't going to like it huh. um, because I'm, I'm calling out all the marketing methods that are ineffective, that should be avoided, and I'm explaining why. And there are people making millions of dollars out of these methods, out of teaching them, not out of generating business for their clients, but just out of selling the programs and courses. Uh, and you've met some of these people, I'm sure. And so, yeah, a black jelly bean could be a belief. It could be a point of view. Can, can you spoil it for us and tell us what the book's called? The book's called Marketing the Invisible, hmm. uh, Leadsology Marketing the Invisible. So it, it's it's fairly and squarely, as I said, targeted at, at prof- independent professionals who marketing, you know, advice service or uh, development software is the other one that I, that I work with people who have developed development software, not apps, but but they develop, you know, high end platforms because right. it's kind of it's not a physical thing. It's it's not actually just advice either. Um, but yeah, so it's for it's for people like that, you know, management consultants and business executive coaches and financial planners and and so on. Yeah. So so let's jump into that that formula, Tom. You said you had a three part formula for crafting a marketing message. What does that look like? So the three part formula is that the message should be. So people might know this as a unique sales proposition or an elevator pitch. Uh, it's that short statement of it, it should have three things. It should be benefit rich. It should contain specifics, and it should be differentiated. Mm-hmm. And you can see mine, you know, behind me here for independent professionals. We enjoy a weekly flow of high-quality new client inquiries, uh, inbound new client inquiries. So the it's it's benefit rich, uh, it's differentiated, um, in part because it is specifics, a weekly flow of inbound new client inquiries. Um, so it's it's very specific. Um, and it, but as I said, it's benefit rich. So, what would be the opposite? What would be kind of the thing that was not benefit rich or didn't change specifics? Is something like, well, I help people with their marketing. And when you embed differentiation and particular specifics, if you do it right, 
then you increase believability and desirability. Because a, week, a weekly flow, you know, a weekly flow of inbound new client inquiries uh, increases desirability and believability. It's something, oh, I'm kind of interested in that. Whereas, you know, I do marketing is does not have quite the same power to it. Um, if I give you another before and after example, to again, just put some flesh on the bones. A client of mine, Max, um, develops software. He's in New Zealand, but he markets into the Australian North American markets as well. So he has point of sale software for QSRs, quick service restaurants, McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, etc. And prior to applying the formula, make it benefit rich, include specifics, and make sure it's very different for whatever your competitors are saying. And if Max was asked what he was doing on his website, LinkedIn profile, et cetera, all the other places, online events where you put a marketing message, he would have said, well, we develop point of sale software for QSRs. So if you had a owner of a McDonald's, you know, maybe six or seven McDonald's outlets, they, let's say it's Sue, and Sue heard that message, you'd probably go, oh, God, the last thing I need is more software. You know, we've got plenty of software. So we, we worked on his message, and what it looks like now is we increased the sales in QSRs by 25% within 90 days, guaranteed. Now Sue is going, hey, I'm interested in that. We've got cut through, and we've motivated her to want to know more, which, as I said, is the job of the marketing message. We have to be able to deliver on that promise, of course. That's very important, if not over-deliver. And Max, you know, case in point, a couple of things to note about that. First of all, at no point did Max mention software. Could have been better car parking. It could have been faster drive-through. It could have been signage. It could have been customer service training. Um, it could have been any number of things. And Sue, the owner of the McDonald's alleys, doesn't care what it is so long as she gets the benefit. So the preoccupation with naming what it is we do is often a barrier to expressing it from a, a market-centric point of view. Um, it sounds, Tom, like, I mean, I, I get the formula. The formula makes perfect sense. I can see how that comes together. It sounds like even before putting the formula together, I'm going to have to have a certain degree of confidence in my ability to deliver to be able to make this work. Would you agree? Would I you think agree? it's I think it's the other way around. I think because what I see a lot of people stalling on is, yeah, but I can't deliver that. Now. That's valid. I understand it. You want to be able to sleep well at night, knowing that people are paying for something that you're going to deliver on. But there's no point in having a marketing message that you can deliver on if it doesn't get cut through or motivate people to want to know more. So what we want to do is work backwards and say, what do people need to hear or see in order to want to know more? Now, how the heck am I going to live on that? Because if someone had a gun to my wife's head and said, you need to figure out how to deliver on that, I, I would figure it out. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I completely agree. That's what I was kind of driving at with my question way back when. I had a conversation earlier today, right before our call today, actually, with a couple of guys who want to start up an IT consulting company. And very typical, they've been around the block and they've worked with different companies, different firms, lots of different things that they've done. And they're kind of kicking around ideas and what to focus on. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, you could think about this to your blue in the face, go out and find some buyers and it'll become really clear what you should focus on just right. by having those conversations. Right. So I agree. I mean, right. it's the formula is one thing, but in the end, if nobody buys it, then you know, it hasn't worked. Yeah. So you got, you got to figure out what people want to buy and then figure out how to deliver on that. 
um, there's, there's, a, there's a slight parallel story which, which reinforces your point of view, which, you know, Michael mastered in his book, Ready, Fire, Aim, which is a, a classic, and anyone who hasn't read it should read it. Um, talks about the, he has a story about a, 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 a someone who comes to him and says, look, I've got this lavender organic, I don't know, free range soap. I can't remember what it was. And people put it on their skin. They just skin feels amazing. And it gets rid of eczema and it gets rid of psoriasis and it cleans them. People shine and they glow and it's amazing. And I'm looking for funding. And, you know, well, how much funding do you want? Um, I don't know, a couple of hundred grand. We need to set up an office manufacturing plant in China. Uh, then we need another 500 and, uh, you know, we want, uh, you know, business cards and websites and blah, 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 blah. We got to, we got to get this thing up and running, you know, and he said, well, I'll tell you what you do, go down to the local flea market on a Sunday morning and see if you can flog some. When people come back regularly to order more, then we should talk again. Yeah. Ready, aim, ready, fire, aim. Yeah. Uh, so, so you're right. I mean, it, is, is there going to be a demand? For this particular black jelly bean, this sort of anti-psoriasis glow-in-the-dark soap, I don't know, you know. But before we before we sink too much money in it, we should find out. So yeah, go and have some conversations. Another example: um, a colleague of mine, Mike, who's Michael Hagen's an incredibly innovative entrepreneur. Someone came to Mike and said, "Look, I want some money to for this app. I can't even remember what the app was, and but you know, I think if we put enough money for this thing, it's going to sell like hotcakes." So he said, "Well." Just, just hold, hold your horses for a moment. So he had a telemarketing team in, in the Philippines. Mike's here in Australia. So he had a telemarketing team, phone people, cold call at random, American business owners. And basically, it was the script was something like this. Hey, we've got this app. It's going to do X, Y, Z. We're still developing it, but would you be interested? Hell yes. Okay, give us, give us your credit card. We'll take $50 deposit. and You can pay the balance when it's, when it's ready. How's that? It's got a whole lot of orders in. Confirmed that there was going to be a need in the market for the app. Had the telemarketers call all the people back again, refund their money, saying, "Look, it's going to take longer than we think. So here's your money back. Uh, sorry, sorry to have troubled you, but we will be back to you as soon as the app's developed." So he confirmed that there was a need in the marketplace prior to sinking, you know, what I can't remember what the developers wanted—half a million dollars or you know, five hundred thousand, whatever it happens. Into so, so is there a need in the marketplace? Let's establish that. And ultimately, the only the only way you're going to tell that is to go to the market. Uh, which incidentally is one of the things we do with the customer value statement. I get my clients to come up with three distinct variations of what they think it is that the marketplace wants to hear or see. I sign off on it with my client. Then I say to my client, you know, with all due respect, I've learned many years, many years ago that I should not trust you to know what you think your marketplace wants. And then I learned after that, that I should not trust me to know what <laughs> your marketplace wants. Let's get these three statements out to the marketplace. I want you to find 10 ideal clients, past, present, or future. Not, not your wise uncle mentor, but three ideal clients, past, present, or future. Not your wife, not your dog, not your cat, not what you think, not what I think. And ask them to vote which one of the following three statements would most motivate you to want to know more. And... Uh, this polarization effect takes place. Typically, six to seven out of the 10 will choose the same statement. That's our winner. Let's, let's whack it up on the LinkedIn profile. Let's put it on the LinkedIn on the website. Uh, let's build uh, online presentations around that. Uh, let's build a guide around that. Let's do all our marketing build around that statement because that's the one that's, that the marketplace has voted. Um, so there's, there's sort of levels of validation. That's the third level. And the fourth level is do you have money in your bank account now that you've used that? Because um, if not, let's go back to the top and start again. <laughs> so, so I'm curious when the clients go out and they share the three messages with with some ideal clients. 
how often is the winner the one that they thought would be the winner? I would say less than half. Hmm. Interesting. I would say less less than half. I I would say I get it right about two out of three. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so yeah. I'm curious when that happened. So they they thought that one of them was was going to be the winner, and then it was something else. Do they still resist at all? Not no no. One of the things that I, I don't know is a William Faulkner has got a very famous quote. You know, William Faulkner was a novelist and sold millions of copies, and he was asked. He was asked, how do you create a novel that is such a page turner that people just can't put it down? They just turn from page to page to page until they finish and they're exhausted. They go, oh, my God, what a book. He said, just kill your darlings. Kill your darlings. All those pieces of prose that you fell in love with because it was so poetic and so romantic and you showed your wife and she cried. If it's not in context, take it out. <laughs> You know, kill your darlings. And that's that's the, the, the one phrase that my clients hear more often than anything else is kill your darlings. Is this thing that you're wedded to that you thought was a beautiful piece of prose or you think it's a great image but it doesn't fit and the clients don't, mm, kill your darlings. So that's one of the first kill your darlings exercises. We line up the firing squad and get, get rid of the two that didn't get the cut through. Yeah, I mean, easier for you and me to say, but harder to do in practice. I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there are sometimes, you know, there are sometimes some, uh, some, some. Occasionally, there's some letting go issues. Yeah. Uh, we have counselors lined up for that. You know, kill your darlings, <laughs> um, because I mean, your clients and my clients ultimately, you know, some of them vary in terms of their uh, the awareness of the importance of values, and some of them, you know, are more esoteric than others. But one thing they all have in common is that they will ultimately go with what works. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. So listen, Tom, we covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. Is there anything that we haven't talked about as far as messaging goes that you think is important to highlight? I guess the only thing I would say is that um, it's not a process that should be rushed because it is the cornerstone of all the marketing. Hmm. And it's just like, you know, building a building. If you don't get that cornerstone strong, then the whole damn building is going to fall down. And I, and I hear this quite often, you know, in, in the consults, pre-client engagement consults, where people say, well, I've, I've tried doing this marketing and webinars don't work or books don't work or this method doesn't work. And, and I look at it and I look at the message and it's weak and it doesn't get cut through and it wouldn't motivate anyone because it's not differentiated and so on. So... All the work you're going to do in your marketing, and there's a lot of work to do marketing effectively, all of that's going to come to nothing unless you move through this exercise of creating a marketing message that with integrity and robustness. So it's worth it's worth it's worth waiting a you know a few weeks to get it right. Yeah, that's the only other thing I'd add. I think. No, sound advice. Take your time, and it's certainly worth the time. Tom, where can folks look you up and find out more about what you do? There's a couple of resources. Thank you for the opportunity, too. A couple of resources. One is if people think they're ready for, for lead gen, they can go to um, bookachatwithtom.com, have a read of the page. If it's a fit, it's a fit. If it's not, it's not. Um, the other place they can go is to the website, of course, leadsology.guru. Uh, and guru is not some sort of mentor. It's more like G-U-R-U. It's about authenticity. So... <laughs> leadsology.guru. There's lots of free stuff there, including uh, people can Google search for five-hour challenge. That's um, a very popular 10-minute video a day over five days 
invest one hour a day over those five days, including the video, you should be able to generate five fresh leads and hopefully one new fee-paying client. So there's a few things there for pretty much something for everyone, I hope. Well, that sounds like a great start. We'll drop notes, there, links to all those in the show notes to this episode. Tom, thanks so much for coming on. Ackman, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is, if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step -step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com and you can spell out five or use the number, either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening.